Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through the Word. Lord, bring your power upon us now, I pray. I mean, I I really need your help, Lord, as I always do, feeling it especially keenly this morning. Work in my heart, work in my mind, work in my words, so that I would teach things that are right and um, and that are helpful and upbuilding and, and in accord with your will. And help all of us, Lord. We want to be hearers and doers of the word. So help us listen intently and fight the fight of faith. We know that Satan's trying to distract, trying to dull our minds, trying to take the word out of our hearts. Help us to grasp it tenaciously and listen and think and that it would deeply impact our hearts and change our lives. So we're closer to you, bringing glory to you, following you more. So come and do that now, I pray, Jesus, for the glory of your name. Amen. Okay. As I was thinking about this morning's topic, it just struck me that um, as followers of Jesus, most, most all of us here are followers of Jesus, I'm assuming, he calls us to love everyone around us. And it's all through the Gospels and through the New Testament and in the Old Testament too. I thought about the passage where he says, a new commandment I give you that you love each other. And the reason that that commandment is new is not because it's never been said before, but because in a new, brand new way, we see it lived out in Jesus. He perfectly loved. And so we are supposed to follow him, love each other as I've loved you. And then he calls us to, he says, one of the ways people will know that you're my disciples is because of how different your love is for each other than anything that they see anywhere else. And our love for each other should be so full of forgiveness and patience and devotion and servanthood and kindness and care and time and cost and investment, bearing with one another, putting up with each other, loving each other, reaching out to each other, in, with different people, different socioeconomic, different racial, different you know, backgrounds, cultural backgrounds. We come together in an amazing way united in Christ and it should be so powerful that anybody who doesn't know Jesus would say, I may not believe what they do, but they love like no one loves. Right? But not just do we love each other, Jesus called us to love um, our neighbors. He called us to love our enemies. So if you're a follower of Jesus, he calls you, he calls me, he's calling us to love each other. The problem, though, is that we all find times when we struggle to love other people. Right? We all find times when it's, it's difficult to love other people. I mean, you may have someone who has so wronged you, maybe even in this group here, someone who has so wronged you that it's very difficult for you to want their good and to serve them. Or there may be, maybe like your, your husband was short with you, was abrupt with you yesterday, and you're just having a hard time feeling real lovey-dovey towards him today. That can certainly happen. Or maybe there's somebody at the workplace who um, just kind of rubs you the wrong way, and you find that you, you steer clear of him, or you steer clear of, of her. Or maybe you find that it's just been such a long day, such a tough day, so many difficult things happen, that in your heart, honestly, you have no desire to go to home group tonight. Ever feel that way? I think we all do, from time to time. 
So what's going on at times like that? We're called to love as followers of Jesus, but there are times when we struggle to love. So how should we view ourselves? How should we think about, how should we respond when that's what's going on in our hearts? That's what I want us to talk about this morning and kind of wrestle with what that means and how to, how to live that out. So we're in the middle of a teaching series which I've called The Fight of Faith. And what we're working on in this teaching series is to go deeper in what does it really mean without Christianese, without jargon, what does it really mean putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, just real clear and simple, what does it really mean to trust Jesus? And this morning I want us to think about How does trust in Jesus, faith in Jesus, relate to love of other people? How does faith relate to love? Okay, And the passage I want you to turn to is Galatians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We want to be a church where you learn the Bible. You don't just walk away from a sermon thinking about what I said, because what I said is fairly unimportant compared to what the book says. So we want you to have a copy of the book. We want you to be able to turn up. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, which is on page 974 in these Bibles we're passing out. So here's some background to this book. Let's get this. Oh, there it is. So there's Galatia. You can see it right up there. All right. Boom. Okay. Here's Jerusalem down here, Mediterranean Sea. This is now modern-day Turkey. So that's an area called Galatia. In about A.D. 48... About 15 years after Jesus died and rose again, A.D. 48, Paul went to Galatia, traveled from town to town there, telling people about Jesus. And in all these different towns in Galatia, people put their trust in Jesus. They were saved, born again, came into relationship with God, forgiven for their sins, and churches were planted in all these towns. A few years later, some false teachers came from Jerusalem, though, moved through that same area, teaching a false gospel. Paul was crushed and devastated when he heard what had happened, and so he wrote this letter, which you're holding in your hands here, the letter to the Galatians. It's to a group of churches. It's a circular letter, which was intended to be copied and passed from church to church, where Paul corrects this false gospel. Okay, so what's this, what was this false gospel? What's the, what's the big issue? Let me try to make it a little more relevant to you. Imagine that this next week, you take a turn away from Jesus Christ. Maybe you enter into a conversation where you you are just really speaking negatively about somebody else. Just really, they're not there. It's not like constructive, loving, humble. No, it's, it's not constructive, it's not humble, it's not loving. You're just hammering them with somebody else, okay? And that's a departure from Christ, Or maybe you depart from Christ by totally losing your patience about somebody in line at Costco or something. Maybe. Or maybe you go out with some of the guys after work and you you, you drink too much. Let's say Tuesday or Wednesday, you, you depart from Jesus in some way. And you're feeling unrighteous. You're feeling sinful. You're feeling this distance now between you and God. The million dollar question is, what do you do to to make that connection good again? What do you do? What can you do to be righteous before God? 
Okay, so let's go to the next slide. We've got the first. So here's the questions that Paul raises in Galatians. And the first one is, how can I be righteous before God? It's like the question you'd ask Tuesday afternoon. The answer that Paul gives is, the way that you become righteous before God is by being connected to Jesus who is perfectly righteous. Jesus Christ is perfectly righteous. And it's His righteousness that we receive as a gift when we are saved. And so the way to make yourself right with God Tuesday is not by saying, okay, okay, like I'm going to go to a home group Tuesday night, I'm going to go to a home group Wednesday night, I'm going to go to a home group Thursday night. That's got to count for something. It's not by you trying to do something that's going to earn a righteous standing before God because you can't do that. God hates that. God has provided righteousness for you in the person of Jesus. And so the way that you can be connected to God and to be righteous before God is by being connected to Jesus who is perfectly righteous. It's the first question he raises in Galatians. Second question is, okay, how do I connect to Jesus in that way? If, if I'm righteous before God by being connected to Jesus who is righteous, how do I connect to Jesus? And the answer is, what's the answer? Do you know? By faith. Okay? I'll work on that one. Alright, this is really important. Church, I hope you know more than you're saying this morning. Okay. So it's by faith. It's by trusting Jesus. It's that you, Tuesday afternoon, as you're feeling your unrighteousness and your sinfulness, you, you turn your heart towards Jesus. You say, Jesus, I need you once again. I need the cross once again. I, I, I trust you. Forgive me. I repent before you for my sin. Forgive me. I'm sorry. It's wrong. I deserve what you received. Cleanse me. Wash me. I trust you. You can renew me. You are my righteousness. And as you put your trust in Jesus and talk to Jesus about the truths of the gospel, there's a heart connection there. You're connected to the one who is righteous. And through faith in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven, you're righteous before God, everything's right, even though you had earlier Tuesday turned away from Christ. That's what Paul's been talking about so far in the book of Galatians, okay? Now, in chapter 5, he wants to move to how does that kind of faith in Jesus change your life? Especially, how does it affect your love for other people? And so let's walk through verses 2 through 6. Verse 6 is where he brings up the love topic. Let's go through verses 2 through 6 so we get the flow of thought. I'll read, make some comments. It's not an easy passage. I would encourage you to read the book of Galatians. It's such a powerful book. But let's start in verse 2. Look at what Paul says. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Okay, now, just parenthesis... What he means there is if you get circumcised as a way to deserve and earn a righteous standing before God. That was one of the issues from these false teachers. Nowadays, somebody might say, if you go to church as a way to earn righteousness before God. That's just as serious as what they were falling into back then. If you read your Bible as a way to earn righteousness before God. All that stuff is not good. If you do this, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, again, as a way to make yourself to earn righteousness before God, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. That makes sense, right? If we're all in the business of earning a righteous standing before God, you've got to do it all, perfectly. Any candidates for that recently? 
can we like put some stars up on the board for all those in Mercy Hill Church who've, who've done it perfectly for the last ten minutes? No. Okay, that's Paul's point. Can't do it. Verse 4. You're severed from Christ. This is real. See, see why Paul is so concerned? This is not just like some false ideas. They're buying those false ideas has severed them from Christ. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. That is, you who try to earn a righteous standing by your own obedience to the law. You have fallen away from grace. I love verse 5. For, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That is, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, giving us faith... So we have a heart-faith connection with the living Jesus. Because we're trusting Jesus, we know at the last day, God's going to say, you're righteous in my son. We eagerly await that last day. We're not fearful of the final judgment. We know. We eagerly await it. It's coming. The hope of righteousness. Verse 6. For, now here's, here's the key verse I want to focus on. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. That is, whether you're circumcised or not does not earn a righteous standing before God. So what, what does give you righteousness before God? It's not an earning thing, but what, what gives you righteousness? Only faith working through love. So here Paul is telling us that love is really, really important. Do you see that? It's not that love is important because the more loving you are, the more you earn a righteous standing before God. He's been arguing against that in verses 2 through 5. The reason love is so important is that love shows that we have the kind of faith that connects us to the one who is righteous. This is really important. Let me say this again. The reason love is essential is that love shows that you have the kind of faith that connects you to the one who is righteous. Okay? Let me just ask a couple of questions to make sure we get this before we dig a little deeper. Whose righteousness makes us accepted by, before God? Jesus' perfect righteousness. Okay? It's really good news. And how do we connect with Jesus' righteousness? By faith. And how can we tell our faith is genuine? Because we're loving. Feel that? That's what I want us to dig into a little deeper here. So first of all, what is love then? If that's how we tell our faith is genuine, what is it? And just take a second and talk to the person next to you, just to get you more involved here. What is love? What is love? Go ahead. minute or two right now. Yes, you can talk in church. Just for a second, though. <laughs> what is love? There's lots of right answers, okay? Lots of different scriptures. What is love? I'm not hearing a whole lot of talking going on here. So, like, we didn't know that, that faith was the way to connect to Jesus. We don't know what love is. Like, what, what are we doing here? This is really a bad morning. I'm feeling like a failure. But I'm clothed in Jesus' righteousness, so... I'm good. Okay, I'll answer the question for you. No, there, there's lots of right answers, but let me show you Paul's answer, one answer he gives in, in a couple of verses down. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is one way of defining love. And because it's 
Just seven verses later, this is what Paul has in his mind in verse 6. Galatians 5.13, You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So here, love means serving others. That makes sense, doesn't it? So what does it mean to serve? It means that in your heart, you, you see people, and one of the first things you think whenever you see people is, what needs do they have? I, 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 how can I find out what needs they have? And once you find out what needs they have, how can I meet the needs that they have? You want to find out what their needs are, you care about their needs, and once you find out their needs, you take actions to serve them. That's what love is, having that heart. So husbands, if you're going to have a loving, if you're going to love your, your wife, then one of your main thoughts is, what needs does she have? How can I find out what needs she has and what steps can I take to meet the needs that she has? And so that could mean anything from taking her out to dinner. It could mean you know, finally fixing the kitchen faucet. All kinds of possibilities. Okay, But that's the basic stance that we have is I want to learn about your needs. And when I learn about them, I want to take steps to meet them. I care about you. I want to help you. Okay, Or say in your neighborhood. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors, which means that we should have in our hearts the desire. I mean, every neighbor you have is just full of needs, right? Absolutely. And so we should be thinking, what, what needs do they have? How can I find out what needs that they have? Because in our culture, we've got our garage door openers, and we're all, we're all looking fine, and there's no needs, but there's lots of needs. So how can I learn what needs that they have? How can I reach out to them and connect with them and, and serve them in some way? And that can mean something like watering their, their flower bed in the back while they're on vacation. Or making them a meal if they've just gone through a medical procedure. Or, you know, who knows what it might be. So that's what it means to, to love someone as we take on the stance of serving them. Or let's talk about our home groups. If you're not in a home group, I would, do just, I would encourage you to get into a home group here. Because that's what we're seeking, to learn to love each other with Christ-centered community. But to be a home group doesn't mean going to a meeting. I mean, that, that's part of it. But much more fundamental is there's a group of people that in your heart you love them. And you're committed to learning about their needs, to bearing their burdens, to serving them in whatever way you can. There's this love connection between all these people that are in the home group. Okay, so that's what love means. Serving others. Does that make sense? Love is serving. Other ways of describing it, but that's how Paul puts it here. Okay, so now, I said earlier that there's lots of times where we struggle to love other people. Every follower of Jesus has times where it's difficult to love. And so, what's going on at those times when I'm struggling to love someone else? Like, if this afternoon you find that you just don't really care about your wife's needs. Or, you have no interest in finding out what your neighbor's needs are. There's a lack of love there. What's going on when there's that lack of love? Okay, now we're used to thinking about things like this. I just try to think, what, what are some reasons people in our culture come up with? There's lots of reasons people come up with. I mean, one reason people think the reason I'm, I don't love this person is because of them. Right? They're the reason I don't love them. Because of what they did yesterday or because of what they did 15 years ago. So that's a very common reason that we give for why we don't love somebody else. It's because of them. Another common reason in our culture is because of family of origin issues. I just, you know, maybe you had a really dysfunctional family. And that can be a factor, but that's not the main factor. It's not the biggest factor, which is good news. Um, 
Or, I've had a hard day. That's why I'm not loving right now. It's been busy. I'm depleted. I'm spent. So those are some of the reasons we come up with for why we don't have love in our hearts. None of those are the biggest reason. There's a really big reason that Paul mentioned. If, you're, if you think about Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 really carefully, you'll see the biggest reason. Let's read that verse again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So Paul's talking about faith here. Faith in Jesus. And what genuine faith does is work. Faith doesn't sit around lazy doing nothing. Faith works, and the particular kind of work that faith does is love. Faith works through love. So what that means is that genuine faith in Jesus, if it's genuine, it's working. And what's coming out? Love. Okay? Genuine faith always produces love. So there's a a cause-effect relationship between faith in Jesus and love. Now, I try to picture it like this. You know where we got these? Costco, okay? Costco. So, see, at Costco, they don't let you buy just one bottle of cranberry, raspberry, 100% juice blend. You've got to buy two. But there's a moral to the story. Not only is this their marketing ploy to make you buy more than you need, besides that, there's a picture here, because this is like faith and love, although the analogy breaks down because they're identical bottles. But just like you always have to buy two bottles at Costco, you always walk away with two, so you always walk away with two things when you trust Jesus. Faith, here, and love for others. You always get two. Faith always produces love for other people. Cause, effect. Faith and love. That's how it works. You can never just buy faith by itself. It's always going to come with love. All the time, okay? Faith and love. All right, I like that. Okay, that's good. Costco does not pay us to do this. But uh, the illustration makes sense. Okay, so, so here's the question. Love, then, depends on what? If faith produces love, if whenever you get this, this always comes to, what does this depend on? This, faith, okay? So, love for others is caused by faith. Faith works itself out in love. So now, this is good news, because, for example... What if, you, what if your spouse has not been very nice to you? What does your love for her depend, or for him, depend upon? Does it depend upon your husband or your wife being nice to you? No. So, well, wait a minute. If it doesn't depend on them being nice to me, then you're like saying I could still love them. Yes. Do you see that? Do you feel that? If the, the power for love comes from faith then no matter what the other person has done to you, you, this is amazing, will still be enabled to love them. How else could Jesus command us to love our enemies? If you are really spent at the end of a day, okay, does being spent mean it's going to be impossible for you to love that evening? 
I'm not hearing a lot of confidence this morning. Like, are, no, okay? Because, and many of you have experienced this, because love doesn't depend upon whether you're spent or not. Love depends upon faith. Faith is the cause of love. Now, what that means then is, when I'm not loving, what's true of me at that moment is that I'm not trusting Jesus at that moment. And that may shock you. But if faith works through love, if there's no love at that moment, there's no faith, or little faith. Now, some of you are thinking, that can't be true, that can't be true, that can't be true, because you think what that means is that like, if you died at that moment when you're not loving, then you're not clothed in Jesus' righteousness, you're not forgiven, you're not going to be saved. That's not true. That's not how salvation works. Every follower of Jesus, every saved person, has moments, at least moments, when we are not loving. Okay? So, just be relieved about that. That's not what this means. But can you see from Galatians 5, 6, that if faith works itself out in love, if there's no love, there's a problem on the faith part. Do you see that? And so here's the good news. Oh, wait, just, what am I going to say? Hang on, one more thing. Okay, good. Yeah, here's the good news. It is good news because that means that no matter what's happening in your circumstances, you are still able to love because love comes from faith. It doesn't depend upon the circumstances that you're in. No matter how messed up your background has been, you're still going to be enabled by Jesus to love because love comes from faith. You're trusting Jesus. No matter how depleted you might be, no matter how much that person has hurt you, no matter how, how, how terrible your boss has been to you. Now, again, there may be other steps you want to take also to talk to people, to, to confront people humbly, gently. There's lots of other things, but right now we're focusing on where does love come from, and it comes from faith. That's where it comes from. Next question. How does that work? Easy to say. Could become a cliche. Could become just, you know, a slogan. Trust Jesus and you'll love it. It'll be fine. Next Mm, no, we don't want to go there. We want to really work this. How does this really work in real life? I thought of an illustration to see if this, I don't know, might help, might not. But just to take a, a real life example, there's lots of ways I could answer this. I could try, kind of give you theory, but I thought I'll just take a, an everyday life situation, kind of walk through how I might respond to this, how, how I think this might work. Many of you have experienced this yourselves. And then give me some feedback to see if this makes sense. Let's say that you've got this wonderful family vacation at Pine Mountain Lake planned, and you're going to be leaving a week from Monday, and you're looking forward to this vacation, can't wait, and Friday afternoon you get an email from your boss saying the factory in Singapore is going haywire. You've got to fly there tomorrow and spend two weeks there getting this taken care of. Okay? Remember Patrick Augustine had that happen a couple times. Some of you remember Patrick. He's moved to Texas. But anyway... Now, at that point, this vacation that you've planned, you've you got to cancel it, obviously. He says, your boss says, I'll make it up to you. Thank you. It's nice to know. But still, there's this terrible disappointment. So at that point, your heart's going to be feeling all kinds of things. Terrible disappointment and sadness and emptiness. You were looking forward to this. Your future was looking good, and now you're empty. And when your heart is empty in that way, it's hard to love, Right? 
Very hard to love. You're probably going to have a tendency to be grumpy to the people as you're hanging around the office for a couple more hours. As you're driving home in commuter traffic, you're probably not going to be very nice to the people that you're seeing in the traffic. When you get home, you're going to be a little bit snappy and grumpy with your kids and your wife, right? That's what's going to happen because your heart at that point is empty. Because that's the scenario. And so the question we're asking is, at that, at that time, in that setting, how does faith in Jesus produce love? And, and don't, don't focus too much on just this setting, because the answer will be similar. Somebody's hurt you, and you're having a hard time loving them. If you're at the end of the day and completely depleted, and have no energy left to think about calling somebody in your home group. Um, if you've just you know, faced a disappointing financial setback, and all the, oh, the crushing mm, and fear and insecurity about that. Okay? So how does faith in Jesus produce love? The good news is that faith works itself out in love. So as you, at that moment, you've gotten the bad news about the canceled vacation, as you turn and put your trust in Jesus, he will work in your heart, fill you with joy, peace, and hope in Jesus. We've talked about this the last two weeks. And that joy, that peace, that hope that will come from Jesus it's an expansive joy, peace, and hope. And it's a, it's, when he fills you with his joy, peace, and hope, it moves out to meet the needs of people around you. That, that's, the, that's the statement. Now, here's how this works. I would turn to a promise. I've, I've got one up here on the screen. Pro, uh, Psalm 63, 1 through 3. Here's a promise I might turn to. You might call up a home group person and say, got a good promise for me? Just had my vacation canceled. I'm ticked. I need a promise. I need a really strong one, please. Well, here's one that I might pray over. I would just take some time and talk to Jesus. Ask him for help. I'm disappointed. I'm empty. I'm not feeling particularly loving right now. Joy, peace, hope. No, don't have them. Help me. And so trust in Jesus, faith in Jesus means trusting him to be what he's promised. And so look at Psalm 63, 1 through 3. Here's, I would just open this up and just say, Oh God, you're my God. Jesus, you are my God. You're the creator of everything. You've always been. You are ultimately behind what my boss has just decided. You're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I need your work in my heart now. Look at my heart. There's no love here. There's no joy in you. There's no peace in you. I need you. Come. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I've had times in the past where in worship, I've I've beheld you, I've loved you, I've worshipped you, I'm not feeling it now. But verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now, verse 3 is the promise that I thought of focusing on here. God's steadfast love is more satisfying than anything else life has to offer. When you taste of God's love, when you behold His love for you, the fact that He is committed to you, He cares for you, He will never leave you or forsake you. He has engraven your name on the palm of His hand, the book of Isaiah says. He will never forget you. You're there. See, he's all-knowing, so it's not like he can think about one of us, only one of us at a time. He's all-knowing, so he is always totally thinking about you. 
and you, and even you, and all the rest of us. So when you see God in Jesus burning with love for you, caring about you, the experience of his love is better than anything life has to offer. Even a vacation with your family at Pine Mountain Lake. You say, whoa, you're serious. Dead serious. No, live serious. Live serious. So what I might do is take that verse and say, Jesus, I'm not feeling it. I'm reading it. I believe it. I'm not feeling it now. All I'm feeling now is loss. I know I have your love, but I'm not feeling it. I repent. I'm sorry. Help me. And then I might just take some time and read in some scriptures about Jesus' love as it's displayed in the Gospels. Like, I love the story where the widow's coming out of the town and her only son has just died. And we read that Jesus feels compassion for her. And what does he do? Raises her son and gives him back to her. So you just read a passage like that and say, Holy Spirit, help me to see the love of Jesus in this passage. I might, I might think about Jesus feeding the 5,000, his compassion for them and their hunger. I would probably especially focus on the cross, which is the most clear picture of Jesus' love we've got. There he is on the cross being punished in my place willingly. He loves me. And I'd say, Holy Spirit, help me to see this. Help me to taste this. Help me to feel this. And I would say, Jesus, I trust that you love me. I trust that your love is better than anything else in life. Help me to see it. Help me to feel it. And I would keep praying that and repenting of the fact that I'm so caught up in this Pine Mountain Lake vacation. More than him right now. Forgive me for that. And as I do that, I promise you, based on Romans 15, 13, he'll change your heart. And peace will start to come. And heart satisfaction in Jesus will start to come. And then, I might move to Psalm 34, verse 10. It's the next one. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I'm going to put a little different twist on that last promise. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I just lost out on a vacation to Pine Mountain Lake this next week with my family. What that means is, and I'm not seeking the Lord perfectly, but, but I'm seeking the Lord. I've been seeking the Lord. And, and because I'm seeking the Lord, I lack no good thing. So if I don't get the Pine Mountain Lake vacation this next week, what does that mean about the Pine, Pine Mountain Lake vacation? It wasn't a good thing for me. There's a better thing for me. Mmm, Orkin in Singapore. Mmm, you know. Yes. Now, this is one of those times where I've got to trust Jesus and say, Jesus, you are much smarter than I am. Yeah, that's true, you know. Okay? I know we doubt that a couple times every day. You do, don't you? But he's much smarter than you are. Much, much smarter than you are. Okay, thank you. Jerry knows. I know. Okay, you all know. And so there's so many times where I have to come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I think I'm so smart. I don't think you're doing this right. I'm not so smart. You're, you have infinite wisdom. Help me to trust you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's what that verse means. Okay. I never would have called it, but I guess a week in Singapore, two weeks there, apart from my family, instead of the vacation, I guess that's a better thing. Help me to trust you for that. And I would pray and trust Jesus and pray and trust Jesus until I start to sense, okay, I'll trust you. 
And see, through that process, I'm trusting Jesus, trusting the cross, trusting his love for me, trusting his wisdom. Peace will start to come. Joy will start to come. Hope will start to rise. I don't want to make it sound like instantaneously you're going to be skipping you know, home. But your heart will be changed in time profoundly, feelingly. And so you'll be able to walk into your home, say, "Hun, kids, we need to talk. This is going to be a great opportunity for us to trust Jesus. You know, Jesus really loves us. You know, he is much wiser than we are. I know you're disappointed about this. Here's what's happened. I was very disappointed too. Here's what Jesus has done in my heart. Let's look at these scriptures. Let's pray together. And you can love them because your heart's been changed. Now see, that's how faith works itself out in love. That's how faith in Jesus can enable you to love someone who has mercilessly hurt you behind your back month after month after month. That's how. You can love them. It will not be easy. But you can. Jesus can so change your heart that maybe with tears you can love them no matter what they've done, even if they continue to do it. You can love them. You can care for them. Your neighbors, maybe you've never talked to your neighbors, I would encourage you to get time before Jesus and say, I need more of your peace. I need more of your joy. I need more of your hope. Because I'm afraid of talking to my neighbors. I'm an introvert. You know, I'm, I'm busy. I've got plenty of people I need to talk to. He'll change your heart. He'll give you love. He'll go over and knock on their door, invite them over to play canasta or whatever. You know, something will happen. That's how faith works itself out in love. Okay, we've got to stop. Um, two, two things, two action points. Every day... Try to start first thing in the morning, if your schedule permits, to get time in the Word with Jesus, casting all your cares upon Him, seeing His love for you, feasting on Him so that peace comes, joy comes, hope comes. So it's like preventative medicine to take you through the day with faith. All right? Because then when problems come, there will be a reservoir, there is some resource. So start the day with faith working itself out in love. So you walk out to the kitchen table and, and you're loving to your wife and your kids. It's a good thing. And then secondly, notice when you lack love. Maybe you find yourself gossiping about somebody. Problem. Maybe you snap at your kids. Lack of love. Maybe the phone's ringing, you check call, do you think, I don't want to talk to them. Problem. Uh, you don't want to go to home group. You don't feel like calling somebody. Notice when your heart is lacking love and don't just say, well, whatever. Faith works itself out in love. If love is lacking, faith is lacking. And so, as soon as you can, turn to Jesus. Trust Him. Repent. Ask Him to meet you. Look at some promises. Feed on the living Jesus in His Word until peace starts to come and then joy and then, and then hope. And I, I promise you, he will change your heart in time to the degree that he sees appropriate. You can't make this happen, but as you take these steps, he will meet you. Let's stand together. Here's what I want us to do. Dave's going to come up. I just sense from the Lord this morning is praying that some of you have somebody in your life that's very, very difficult for you to love. And we'd like to pray for you about that. Come alongside you, pray. 
um, I think some of you, anyway, I don't know the stories. I, I know a couple, but there's probably lots more. But some of you have someone in your life, family member, work, past situation, ex-husband, whatever it might be, and we want to pray for you. So just come on up and sit in one of these front rows. We won't do anything public. It's just be very private. But we want to be family to you and pray that God will help you to love. So as Dave leads us, just come on up. And the rest of you, let's just ask Jesus to put love in us for each other so that if somebody who doesn't know Jesus sees us loving, they'll say, I may not believe what they believe, but they love like no one's. I've never seen anyone love like that. Lord, come and put that upon us, I pray. Bring your power upon us. And minister to those who have someone in their lives that they struggle to love.